Welcome to the Surrender Podcast. Surrender is a collective of Christian groups and organisations from across Australia. We work in unity to share Jesus' call to seek his kingdom coming on earth as it is in heaven. We create spaces for the sharing of stories that motivate, support and equip people to love their neighbour, share good news and live justly, both locally and globally. Please note, Surrender provides spaces for conversation and storytelling and does not necessarily endorse the personal views of any one presenter. This is Brooke Prentice and Reverend Jeff Broughton's Bible study entitled Justice, Reconciliation and Recognition. Jeff Broughton is a research scholar for the Public and Contextual Theology Research Centre and a lecturer in Practical Theology at St. Mark's National Theological Centre. He's also the rector of Paddington Anglican Church in Sydney. Brooke Prentice is an Aboriginal Christian leader, a descendant of the Waka Waka Nation of Queensland and is the Aboriginal spokesperson for Common Grace. She's also part of Doomba, Tier Australia's Indigenous Support Program and the Salvation Army's Indigenous Reference Group and coordinates the Grass Tree Gathering. Their Bible study will explore what these highly contentious and hotly contested words, justice, reconciliation and recognition, along with their promises and problems, mean for Aboriginal peoples embodying the way of Jesus Christ. This is part three of their Bible study entitled Embodying Recognition, Jesus, Guests and Hosts. Uh, So we're just going to begin with an acknowledgement of country Uh, and so um, we've been on that journey. Um, It's important that we acknowledge country and those that have gone before us and the land on and the peoples on whose land that we're on. So this morning we acknowledge the traditional custodians of this land on which we meet and gather and yarn around this yarning circle. The Wurundjeri peoples of the Kulin Nations. They have been and continue to be stewards on behalf of our almighty creator, um, or as Annie Dyker said, uh, Bunjil the Eagle. Uh, and uh, we pay our respects to the elders and leaders, past, present, and future. And we say thank you to them, and we say thank you to God for placing us here um, as his stewards and custodians and caretakers. And we also acknowledge that as Aboriginal peoples, we are the world's oldest living culture. And that's something really special. We are a gift to this nation and we are a gift to this world. And uh, hopefully today through this Bible study, as we talk about injustice and justice, we recognize what it would be to embrace that gift and embrace that gift through friendship between one another. So uh, I'd just like to invite up Arnie Pat who's going to share our Bible reading this morning, which comes from Mark uh, chapter 5, verses 21 to 42. And I also would like to acknowledge that I'm on the land of the Wurundjeri people. I'm a Nudgeri woman from South Australia uh, in the mid-north my people are called warriors, uh, not the fighting warriors, but the warriors who are peacemakers. So I thank my great-grandfather for that acknowledgement that he was one of those people. So let's look at the word. The word is Mark 5, and we're reading from the 21 to 42. 
So bear with me, everyone, okay? So this is a story about Jesus, of course, our wonderful Saviour. When Jesus again crossed over by the boat to the other side of the lake, a, lad, a large crowd gathered around him while he was at the lake. Then one of the synagogue leaders named Jairus came. When he saw Jesus, he fell at his feet. He pleaded earnestly with him, My little daughter is dying. Please come, put your hands on her so that she will be healed and live. So Jesus went with him. A large crowd followed him, pressed around him. And a woman who was there, who had been subject to bleeding for 12 years, she had suffered a great deal under the, the, the care of many doctors and had spent all she had. Yet instead of getting better, she grew worse. When she heard about Jesus, she came up behind him in a crowd and touched his cloak. Because she thought, if I touch Jesus, touch his clothes, I will be healed. Immediately, her bleeding stopped and she felt in her body that she was free from her suffering. At once, Jesus realized that the power had gone out of him. He turned around in the crowd and asked, who touched my clothes? You see, the people are crowding around you, his disciples answered, and yet you asked, who touched me? But Jesus kept looking around to see who had done it. Then the woman, knowing what had happened to her, came and fell at his feet trembling with fear, told him the whole story. He said to her, Daughter, your faith has healed you. Go in peace and be free from your suffering. While Jesus was still speaking, some of people came from the house of Jairus, the synagogue leader. Your daughter is dead, they said. Why bother the te teacher anymore? Overhearing what they said, Jesus told them, Don't be afraid. Just believe. He did not let anyone follow him except Peter, James and John, the brother of James. When they came to the house of the synagogue leader, Jesus saw all the commotion with people crying and wailing loudly. He went in and said to them, Why are all this commotion and wailing? The child is not dead but asleep. But they laughed at him. After he put them all out, he took the, child, the, fathers, the child's father and mother and the disciples who were with him and went in where the child was. He took her by the hand and said to, to her, Talia, I say knock on up, that means get up. <laughs> it's easy for me to say my own language, eh? <laughs> Which means little girl, I say to you, get up. Immediately the little girl stood up and began to walk around. She was 12 years old. At this they were completely astonished. May the words of the Lord bless you all. I'll move over. <laughs> you know as fearsome as Auntie Jean, so you can just say that. Uh-oh. <laughs> uh, 
Um, my name is Jeff Broughton and uh, this is Brooke and together we're going to reflect on this story with you together. Uh, it's been my privilege to know Brooke as a friend but more importantly the last 12 months as a colleague where we've presented both internationally and been writing together and been doing other gatherings like this. So it's um, great to be able to share together. The story that we just heard, the story of this unnamed woman, uh, taken from Mark chapter 5, has been a crucial story for me in the nearly 20 years of inner city ministry I've been involved in in Sydney, places like Darling versus King's Cross, uh, Rough Edges Cafe, where there was a significant proportion of Aboriginal people coming, then in Glebe in the inner west, I was there in a period of time when the government was shutting down the block in Redfern while public housing people were coming into Glebe and then more recently in Paddington. And it's a story that I've uh, used countless times as part of volunteer training. Uh, and so I want to use this story with you this morning, with the help of Brooke, to think about that theme that we've heard a lot about already this weekend of Aboriginal justice, or perhaps more precisely, as we've said, justice that is continually postponed in Australia. We take those first steps, but then never get much beyond them. What is this story? If it's the first time you've heard the story, then it's fairly uncomplicated, isn't it? Jesus is approached by someone, he's a member of the Jewish ruling class, who begs him to heal his daughter. Jesus complies, sets out with the man, is interrupted en route by a woman who would be ceremonially unclean because of her bleeding from the crowd, Against the inclination of the disciples, Jesus attends to this poor woman, but as a result, arrives too late to heal the daughter. The story's tragic end is surprisingly reversed by Jesus' powerful deed of raising the young girl back to life. That's the basic overview, and you've probably, if you've heard the story before, you're familiar with those details, if you haven't heard it before, then that's the basic idea in summary. But there's more going on in this story, and more going on in this story that I think I want us to look at together, particularly as we think around themes of Aboriginal justice. We can also discern this is a story about women. We have Jairus' daughter and an unnamed woman with a hemorrhage, flow of blood. They're the two central characters. It's also a story about power. We have this figure, Jairus, a male figure with power, a synagogue leader who bows before Jesus as an equal. But it's also a story about reversal in power. And a story itself where power itself is transformed into something far more potent. And just to be clear, it's constructing a way Mark knows what he's doing, the gospel writer, in involving two interconnected stories. You might have noticed that as it was read. We begin with the story of Jairus, his daughter, interrupted by the story of the woman with the bleeding and then it finishes with the story of Jairus's daughter but more than that sort of that the way that story is constructed there's a whole lot of other things that we are meant to read these stories together the repetitive use of daughter the repetitive use of 12 years in fact each is a daughter each of them is defined by their social status or location each of them is in need each of them responded to Jesus. Each are ceremonially unclean yet touched by Jesus. Each are spoken to by Jesus. Each are healed and restored to community. 
So we've got to try and be clever and try and, as we read the story, not read them apart or read them as successive stories, but read these stories together. And one way to do that, and the way I've often done this in my training with volunteers, is to actually get us to act out this story. Now, in this space with this many, we can't possibly do that. So we're going to do it in a limited way. And I just want a couple of people, like volunteers, you don't have much of a part, you're more sort of symbolic roles, probably people up the front you can see. Someone who's willing to be Jairus. Have we got a Jairus figure? You'd be Jairus, thank you. So we've got Jairus over there and we need a Jesus. People often hate being Jesus. Understandable, you think you're gonna be you think you're gonna be crucified. You think you're gonna be crucified, but you don't get crucified this story, so it's okay. So Jesus Alan, you're gonna be Jesus? Yep. Thank you. Right. And because of the way we're doing this, Brooke is gonna be the unnamed woman. So um, but generally I'd get us all out of our seats, the rest of us would be either disciples or the crowd. So you may want to, as we work our way through this story, you want to, may want to imagine what's going on from those different point of views. You've got the point of view of Jairus and his friends, his servants, you've got the point of view of Jesus and the disciples, you've got the crowd, you've got this unnamed woman, you've got a whole range and then there's of course the, the poor girl who dies her perspective too, which we're not going to focus on as much, but it's an important part of this story. And as we act out this story, I have one simple prop, and it's this prop, uh, and this shows you that I am, I am hopefully more creative with words than I am with art, but does anyone think they know what that's meant to look like? Stick of dynamite. I'm very pleased. Other, other people can't guess. I did wonder about coming through airport security. <laughs> Stick of dynamite. Our English word dynamite comes directly from one of the key words I've already mentioned in this story. It is the word in the original Greek for power, which is dunamos. And you need to be a Greek scholar to work out how dynamite is connected to dunamos. We need to keep our eyes on where the dunamos, where the dynamite is, is in this story. Because following the dunamos, the dynamite helps us keep these two stories connected and work out what's going on. So, uh, first quiz, I'm a teacher. But where does the dunamos or dynamite start in this story? Jesus. Mm, Jesus? Jairus. Mm. So, who's that Jairus figure? So Jairus is the local synagogue leader, he's the big man in town, he's the boss man, okay? And he starts with the dynamite, so here we go. And um, so questions you may be already asking and I hopefully uh, you'll start to think about this as we go. What is this power? Where did it come from? How does the woman get it? And where does it end up? But we start the story with the power as many of us experience with the male institutional authority figure. That's where the power started. And many of us know what it's like to live like in a world where men like Jairus have the power. This is a story, hopefully, many of us are familiar with. 
And as we follow this dynamite, this dunamis, we will understand how these stories are connected. So it opens with Jesus. Up you get Jesus. Jesus again, cross again in a boat to the other side. Just let me look. The story before this is also important. It's the story of Jesus and the demoniac. And Jesus goes from familiar to the unfamiliar. He takes the disciples on a journey to the other side. Um, we might almost say in our culture to the dark side. Doesn't it? The land of the Gerasenes, where the Romans controlled, where people kept pigs, all very un-Jewish. So they're being in a foreign country, they're being an unfamiliar country. And as Mark introduces this next story, the one we're looking at, they, with Jesus, cross again to the other side. Now they're back in home territory. You can almost, or you should almost hear the disciples breathe a collective sigh of relief. You can sit down, Alan, sorry. A collective sigh of relief. They're back in home turf, and a great crowd gathered round them. They're just barely dealing with this psycho guy on the other side, and I've heard of pigs that run into the sea. It's all been very uncomfortable with Jewish boys. Now they're home, there's a big crowd. Great, this is what it should be. And one of the leaders of the synagogue named Jairus, okay, came and when he saw him, fell at his feet and beat him. You prepared to act that out for us? Sure. So stand up for it. <laughs> now, fell at his feet is maybe a bit overdramatic, but certainly bows, certainly what we've been doing, certainly acknowledges Jesus as an equal. Okay, so not to the, but acknowledges you're an important, you're a big man too. So bow. And what's happened to the power? Master Jesus. Master Jesus, well done, okay. So Jairus has now said, I recognise with my status your power. You can sit down, thanks. So Jesus now has the power. A person with serious dynamos, dynamite, has now given it to Jesus. And you don't have to be an expert in Jewish culture, thanks, I'll leave sit down. Uh, or body language to work out what's going on. A recognition of equals, and it might not be too much of a stretch to say there's possibly a parallel here with almost a welcome to country. This is Jairus's place where he's in charge and he welcomes Jesus as an equal, and Jesus accepts. In effect, Jairus is saying, just to remind you and everyone else that's watching, I'm the important person around here. I get to call the shots, but my daughter is sick and I need help. And in my role, in my Jewish culture, in my position, it's my job to maintain good order, right relationships, that demands I can only ask someone who is my equal. And here comes Jesus. Someone equal with me, I can ask you for help without dishonouring myself and my family. The short version is, here, quick Jesus, here's the power, here's the dunamis, quickly go and heal my daughter with it. Now, if you're watching all this unfold from the point of view of the disciples, you're going to be pretty pleased at this turn of the sense. 
let's face it, being on the other side with that crazy guy and those pigs, that was a bit of a PR disaster. <laughs> you know, it was a, a bad idea of Jesus. You're now back on home turn, you've got a large crowd, you've got a respected Jewish local leader giving Jesus power. You're going to be pretty pleased. This is going to be good. This village is right for mission. If you're in the missional talk, we're going to do well here. Of course, let's face it. Jesus heals synagogue leader's daughter tweets so much better than Jesus heals local man man destroying several thousand pigs and gets kicked out of town in the process. <laughs> so if you're watching this from the point of view of the disciples, you're thinking, this is pretty good. And it seems they're not the only ones. We read on, a large crowd followed him, pressed in. Now there was a woman who'd been suffering from the hemorrhage for 12 years. She'd endured much under the doctors and spent all she had and she was no better but rather grew worse. She had heard about Jesus. This woman, notice, is given no name. Jairus's name would be given. She belongs to no one but the crowd. And in sharp contrast to Jairus's daughter, who is the daughter of privilege, this is the woman who is without privileges, <coughs> has been, as we'll see, denied privileges. Physically, she's been hemorrhaging for 12 years, bleeding. And only the women present can Im imagine the sheer physical exhaustion from that kind of constant bleeding. Personally, she has suffered much under the care of various doctors who have not been able to do anything for her. Even with the wonders of 21st century medicine, such a condition would require treatment that would be painful and invasive and leave you with little dignity. Only begin to imagine the kind of ordeal doctors in first century Palestine had performed on this woman. Financially, she is ruined. She has spent all that she had, we are told. Surely this poor woman has suffered enough. But no, in fact, she is doubly poor. Not only has she suffered all that physically, personally, financially, socially, as a result of her physical hemorrhage, she is cut off from family and neighbours, according to the Levitical Purity Code, 12 years of segregation. And religiously, 12 years, she's been cut off from God, her place of worship. She can't go there. She'd make the synagogue leaders and others all unclean. So the places where you go to offer sacrifice, to pray, have all been off limits. And again, you don't need to be a biblical scholar to work out who enforced these kind of strict purity codes. Any guesses? He's sitting over here. He's sitting right over here. So she's socially cut off, religiously, spiritually cut off, and she's been exploited. And historians help here to tell us that squandering money on useless medical care was a perennial problem for the poor. At this point, I'm going to pause, and Brooke's going to talk a little bit about the problem of not being able to have a name for what's happened to you. So, over this weekend, you've heard the words Aboriginal justice, Aboriginal injustice, but I wonder how many of you actually know what that means. As Aboriginal people, and especially as Aboriginal Christian leaders, 
we live that experience each and every day as we minister to our communities and to our peoples. There are so many injustices. But uh, this concept of um, naming these injustices, and we haven't quite done that yet, but that's what we're about to lead into. One of the things I thought about, it was actually when Nelson Mandela died and the international newspapers looked at his story and what he had done, and I went, well, here in this country, we have had our own Nelson Mandela's, our own Martin Luther King's, um, and but why don't people know our great Aboriginal uh, Christian warriors uh, over 250 years? And by calling them Christian, I might be, uh, uh, when we go back to 1788, I might be stretching it here, but we go back to Benelong, Pemelway. If you don't know those men's names, please go and look at them. Every Australian should watch the DVD series, First Australians, or it's online for free. SBS On Demand has it at the moment. First Australians, every Australian should know that. And you see the stories of Benelong and Pemelway. People who fought for their land, uh, people who fought for survival. And we have a strong spirit of survival over 60,000 years, and we're still here surviving. I often say it's a miracle of God um, it's a miracle that Aboriginal people survived when you look at our true history. And that's a miracle of God. We are still here for a reason. And when we look at these injustices, and uh, when Nelson Mandela died, and you know, South Africa again, uh, in the international newspapers, we heard apartheid. And I went, why don't Australians know the names of Benelong and Pemelway, um, William Cooper, uh, Sir Doug Nichols, um, even through to our, our warriors today, um, uh, Arnie Jean Phillips, Uncle Graham Paulson, Uncle Ray Minicon, um, and the Aboriginal uh, leaders that are here, so many people that have fought so hard and so long. And uh, I asked a non-Aboriginal minister friend of mine, um, you know, why can't non-Aboriginal people engage with our injustices? And, um, what we talked about was, well, there's no name for what happened here. There's not a single name. So you look at South Africa and you have apartheid. You look at the United States, you have segregation. How do you, but how do you put a name on 250 years of injustices? And I think that's part of the issue here in Australia. I'm not suggesting that we need a single name because we have experienced what apartheid has done uh, what the Holocaust has done, uh, what segregation has done. That has been the history of Australia. That is what has happened to our peoples. And when, we, when I say our peoples, we have those own stories in our family. In my lifetime, it's still uh, stories that affected my grandmother, my mother. These, these are living stories for us. It isn't ancient history. It's not, it's in the past, forget about it, get over it. And we still cop that, and I still cop it by so many Christians. We need to stop that language and really look at what these injustices are. And so, um, also I say I'm only one Aboriginal person, and there's many Aboriginal voices out there, and we must honour all of those voices and so many people working so tirelessly. But I want you to really look at the Aboriginal Christians in your churches. We belong to all the major denominations. We have our own independent churches too, but not many. And so if you're at a church meeting and you look around that room and you don't see an Aboriginal person, you should be asking why. And when they said, we don't have any Aboriginal Christians, 
you say, I don't think that's true. And you need to go and find them. And so, because it's through this concept of friendship, we talked about reconciliation being friendship. And when we're friends, we can share our pain, we can share our love, and we can share our hope. And that's what we've tried to do through these Bible studies as we walk out of here after today and you go back to your communities. Find those friends that you can share these stories. Find the Aboriginal voices. We're not in the major newspapers. The major newspapers won't talk about us the right way. Look for the independent voices, Aboriginal journalists like Amy Maguire, um, Celeste Little, um, Danny T. Johnson, uh, and all of those people. And I often share them on my Facebook so you can look at them to see what the true Aboriginal community voice is saying. But as we pause now to think about these injustices, and I can't teach you everything. No Aboriginal person can teach you everything. Uh, and that's one of your next steps. So we talked about first steps on day one. Your next step when you go out of here is to go and learn more. Um, and Arnie Jean, down at her stall, has had these two books, Trustees on Trial and Black Lives, Government Lies. Dr. Ros Kidd did amazing research into stolen wages. And so when Jeff was saying earlier about... Um, uh, you know, when we think about wealth and poverty in this nation, when you have had stolen land, stolen wages, stolen children, what foundation are we starting from as Aboriginal peoples? We're starting from a foundation of a creator we've known for 60,000 years and who recognises us with dignity. That's through our creator and through the land that we're connected with. But when we look at the government, the political and the church structures in this nation, do we find the same thing? And so we must go and learn more. These are two ways that you could learn more. And so I want us to take a time to just pause and we're going to reflect on these injustices. Some of these might be the first time you're hearing them. And so as you hear them, I want you to go away and um, look it up and Google it. Just Google these things. When you hear the word massacres, that massacres occurred on this land, the blood spilt on this land, those were people's real lives, real families, real communities, lost, completely lost. It wasn't just a massacre. This is murder on a grand scale. And in friendship as Aboriginal and non-Aboriginal peoples, we have to come together to talk about it first in our pain, to stand together in our solidarity, and then to walk together in truth and justice. And as Christians, by kneeling at the foot of the cross with Jesus as our friend walking beside us, we can walk into that pain, into that solidarity, into that truth, and into that justice together. And so, um, just as you read them, can I also suggest, if you would like, there's a long tradition within Christian history, and we talked yesterday about repentance, of repenting on your knees. And as a, a way of leaning into this, particularly if you're a non-Aboriginal person, you may actually want to be, be on your knees as you hear what Brooke reads. So, uh, in, in, no compulsion, you can't force anyone to repent any more than you can force. But if you'd like to be on your knees, that might be the posture in which you hear what Brooke's about to say.
invasion. Dispossession. Stolen land. Stolen wages. Stolen generations. Slavery. Lack of recognition of the frontier wars. Frontier violence. Massacres. Genocide. Loss of language. Lack of the return of ancestral remains. Lack of protection of sacred sites. Lack of the prevention of the sale of cultural items. High rates of prison incarceration. High rates of juvenile detention. Denied access to medical treatment whilst in custody. Denied access to an interpreter by court. Denied release of CCTV footage of Miss Jew's death in custody and Wayne Feller Morrison. The Northern Territory intervention. Paperless arrest laws. Forced removal from homelands. Nuclear waste dumps without consultation proper way with traditional owners. Coal mines without agreement from traditional owners. Ecological destruction. Contraventions of the UN Declaration on the Rights of Indigenous Peoples. Poverty. Close the gap. Racism. The new stolen generation. Aboriginal deaths in custody. forced to live your life on your knees, which takes us back to our story and this woman. 
this doubly poor woman who for at least 12 years has been forced to her knees through the multiple injustices she's faced, the exclusion she's faced, the physical, personal, financial, social, religious pressures that have brought her to her knees. Yet this woman has a trip's part to sneak up behind Jesus, touches his cloak, thinking, if I but touch his clothes, I'll be made well. And we expect, if you've been in our churches, that the very next verse should read, that Jesus reprimands her for her silly superstition, for believing in magic or witchcraft. The way of Jesus is not that kind of way, surely. Not those old ways. No, maybe the way of Jesus is far more consistent here with some of Aboriginal old ways than we have ever thought, than you have ever been taught. Because in the very next verse, rather than being reprimanded for believing some silly superstition, she is immediately, we're told, her hemorrhage stops. She feels in her body, this is not some mind game, not some placebo, she feels in her body that she has been healed of her disease. And she would know. And again, particularly for us blokes, trust the testimony of women. If you've been like that for 12 years, you would know the moment you are healed. Mm. Where's our power? Where's our power, Jesus? Taking notes, very good Jesus, but where's our power? You knew Where's our power? What's happened to the power? Are we keeping track, the dunamis? Gone to the lady. Gone to the lady, she actually stole it. She snuck up behind him, stole the power, and it worked for her. Again, even as I use that language, it may make you feel uncomfortable when I say she stole the power. That's what the scriptures say. Desperate people take desperate measures. And if you're uncomfortable with that idea, that just says something about that you've never had to be desperate enough to take the kind of desperate measures this woman takes. That many people, many of our Aboriginal brothers and sisters, desperate measures they must take. We are so different. Our, my, middle class manners, I mean, I can't even admit I'd like a second helping or the last piece of chocolate cake, let alone be made well. Her desperate act here slows the whole story down. Immediately aware that the power had gone out of him, Jesus turned about in the crowd and said, Who touched my clothes? His disciples, point of view of the disciples, didn't they? Look at this crowd, they're all pressing in on you. How can you say who touched me? But he kept looking around to see who had done it. And the woman, knowing what had happened to her, came in fear and trembling, fell down before him, and notice this phrase, told him her whole truth. At this point when we're acting this out in our training, we sit down. How long would it take this woman to tell her whole truth. 
to speak of that exploitation, the isolation from God and family and neighbours, the shame, the physical exhaustion, the financial ruin, the desperation. Those who have been trained in pastoral care or even Christian counselling might even be doing a quick mental calculation. How many sessions is this woman going to need? <coughs> this is not going to be a quick in and out. When we role play this as volunteers, I've seen, I think John was even present, John's, I've seen it take more than an hour for someone acting the role of woman to take an hour to tell her story. In this real encounter with Jesus, I can't imagine it being any less than two or three hours. And that's not a rational recount either. The police were called by this. So one would just scream. I think I was like, that one, yes. In our churches and ministries, we need to understand it's not going to be a matter of weeks and probably not even months, but likely years of listening to the whole truth of Aboriginal people's experience. The kind of things that Brooke just walked us through. You're not going to get through that in one conversation, or even several. But as we've heard already several times this weekend, in our hurried and distracted culture, we are simply not interested in hearing people's whole truth. Maybe that's one of the ways we as the church are called to be countercultural again that you have the time and the space to listen. Because here you notice, Jesus accepts the priority of this bleeding woman over the socially polite and correct request of the synagogue leader. He's done proper protocol. He's the one Jesus should be concerned of. This woman doesn't even have the, uh, the, the honour to confront, confront Jesus. She sneaks up from behind. Yet Jesus here allows this doubly poor woman, this woman who is on the bottom of the honour scale and has reinforced that by the way she's acted, to intrude, to break in upon an important mission. Remember, disciples, how important this mission is? You're going to tweet, Jesus heals, synagogue leader. It's going to be a great success. He's at the top of the honour scale. And yet Jesus allows, permits, this significant interruption, this significant delay. We threw that? We changed it. Okay, you changed it. I'll keep going. At this point, when we are doing this in training, and particularly when it takes an hour for this woman to tell her story, those acting out the role of disciples fidget impatiently. They represent us, the church. Missional PR success is quickly descending into missional PR disaster. And they haven't even yet got the news that J Jairus' daughter has died. Hurry up, Jesus. Let's get on. Let's keep moving forward. How much have you heard that kind of language from people like me in your churches? Lives to be saved, souls to be won. We don't have time. This is more important. We've slowed down. We've heard these stories. It takes a long time. More time, let's be honest, that many of us impatient people are prepared to give. But Jesus is faithfully present to this woman. 
How long had it been since this woman had been not been scolded for touching another human being? Her life, certainly the last 12 years, had become an entire car journey on a back seat with a sibling. Stop touching me! She's touching me! That's the reality. When you're bleeding for 12 years, Jesus reverses the contagion by her touch. She becomes well instead of he becoming unclean. That's what it means to be faithfully present. Jesus listens faithfully. How long had it been, if ever, since someone had listened to her story, to her whole truth? Maybe we're not the first culture to be distracted and hurried. And Jesus takes very deliberate steps to ensure that her healing is not just physical, but social and spiritual as well. He says to her, Daughter, your faith has made you well. Go in peace and be healed of your disease. Do you hear that? Daughter. Up until now, there's only been one daughter in this story, the daughter of Jairus. Now she is daughter. And not just any daughter, she's the daughter at the centre of this story and the centre of Jesus' attention. Daughter, a term of belonging, a relational term. Daughters belong to someone. With this one simple word, her dignity is restored. And then these words. Your faith has made you well. Hang on, when you say it, the disciples, the crowd, no, no, sorry, Jesus, got that wrong, sorry. No, she stole the power, remember you felt it going out of her. Remember Jesus, it's the power. The power originally Jairus gave you, that's what made her, made her well. No. No longer cut off from God, from prayer, from worship, from sacrifice. Jesus says, it is your faith. Not that power, your faith that has made you well. This is confirmed just a few short minutes later. When hearing that Jairus' daughter died, Jesus says directly to him, Do not fear, only believe. Your faith has made you well. To Jairus, only believe. Preachers, theologians like me, sometimes make whole careers out of trying to talk about the difference between faith and belief. And I tell you in this story, it's the same word. It's exactly the same word. Your belief has made your well, you need to believe. Your faith has made you well, you need faith. In effect, Jesus is saying quite clearly, Jairus, you need what she's got. Jesus Jairus, sorry, the alpha male powerful guy who came looking for another alpha male power guy to heal his sick daughter, now has a dead daughter and is told, the power you gave to Jesus that was stolen by the woman has now been transferred into faith and that's what you need. Do you want it back? Do not fear, just have faith. Take what this woman took from me. Do what this woman did. 
Desperate people, remember, take desperate measures. And I'm guessing Jairus, maybe for the first time in his life, is feeling pretty desperate right now. He's thought of his strategies, his followed protocol, it hasn't worked. Yet powerful, confident people like Jairus, like many of us, face significant hurdles of pride and ego before we can admit our own powerlessness, our own lack of faith. Three mornings ago, for those who are with us, we began with the great reversals of God's kingdom and how the rich and powerful resist those reversals. I suggested that we non-Aboriginal peoples must learn again how to be guests. Through the Eucharist, we learn how to be guests at God's table, God's hospitality. Through welcome to country, we remember what it's like to be guests on this ancient land. Yesterday, we discovered that being a guest means receiving gifts. Gifts of friendship or reconciliation, gifts of forgiveness, consistently offered by Aboriginal brothers and sisters, as Brooke has done for me. Today, we must become guests in order to receive that most essential gift, the gift of faith. Because we non-Aboriginal people cling stubbornly to the idea that it is our power and our influence that really saves us. I'm a priest, for crying out loud. I'm in charge of a church. I'm a university lecturer. I have a PhD and two master's degree. I'm a 50-year-old white male with money, with education, with many privileges. And Jesus says as gently, as persistently to me, as he said to Jairus, if you want to invite him my way, then you need, Jeff Broughton, you need what these doubly poor Aboriginal brothers and sisters have already got. Are you willing to receive that same faith as a gift? Are you desperate enough to take desperate measures? Get on your knees, admit your need, become a guest. And so Jesus says to me, as he says to each one of us, only faith can make you well. That's why I'm going to keep walking with friends like Paul. Because on my own, I'm just not going to make it. I'm not going to be able to embody the way in the way I'm called to do so. Final word So like the bleeding woman, uh, we know what it is to be desperate. Like Jairus, we know what it is as Aboriginal peoples to feel desperate. But as Aboriginal Christians, each and every day we cling to that cross, we cling to Jesus. He is our hope. And he is the great healer and great comforter. And so we cling to that as Lakani Esme's <coughs> prayer last night. That's what we do each and every day as Aboriginal peoples. Like the bleeding woman and Jairus, all possibilities are exhausted. We feel exhausted. That list of injustices, whilst it might be overwhelming for non-Aboriginal peoples, it is exhausting for us. It takes a toll on our health, um, our finances, the little that many Aboriginal people have, it takes a toll. But with that faith that we have in God, that faith that God can move those mountains, we turn to Jesus. We turn and we reach out to Jesus like the bleeding woman did. We reach out to Jesus for healing in our land and our peoples, all of our peoples. 
non-Aboriginal, Aboriginal. Today in Australia, we represent every colour of the rainbow. It's all our peoples. And I believe that we can do better. I believe as Christians, we are called to do better. And it's these things when we humble ourselves at the foot of the cross and seek Jesus through the throngs of the crowd, through the mocks and the sneers, it is these things that will build relationship, build friendship, and as Auntie Jean Phillips says, build a better Australia for all Australians. My hope from these Bible studies was that you would see, hear, feel the one story, the one reframe, the one truth that would help you see clearly your place in the struggle. It's our struggle. All of our struggle. And the struggle to bring about justice for Aboriginal peoples in this land we now call Australia. If you've experienced it, and I hope that you have, I need your help. Don't let this be the end of the conversation. Let this be your lived reality with Jesus standing beside you. Let this be a conversation you start and continue with your friends, your family, your church, your pastor and minister, your community. Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. once said, we must accept finite disappointment, but never lose infinite hope. As Aboriginal peoples, we haven't lost hope. Our hope is in Jesus, and often he is all that we have left. And I've brought something um, for each of you, so as a little reminder, um, so I hope this helps as you continue this journey. So maybe you could, any leftovers, if you could give them back. And uh, maybe you could put, uh, it's a painting, a painting that my sister painted for me for NAIDOC last year where the theme was song lines. It's a painting entitled, Will You? And maybe you could put it on your fridge or your desk at work or your church notice board at church. And as you hand those out, I wanted to talk just briefly about hope. And you see each one of you that's come here over the three days, either to this Bible study or just surrender or each person that I meet, each Christian in particular, you see each one of you are part of my hope for this nation. I look into your eyes and I see Jesus. Sadly, when some, and often it feels like many non-Aboriginal people, indeed many Christians look into our eyes, the eyes of the Aboriginal brothers and sisters, they see us as some of your ancestors may have, as flora and fauna, as a problem to be fixed. Or even worse, somehow we become invisible. Or they see us as those Northern Territory Correction Officers did in Dondale. But please remember, our call through these Bible studies for embodying Jesus and recognition. Recognition with dignity. I look into your eyes and I see the tears that Jesus weeps for both our peoples as he stood with us at that welcome to country. I look into your eyes searching for love for my peoples as I called for yesterday. And not the solutions. As Aboriginal people we have so many solutions. But the government and the church structures just don't seem to want to listen to us. I look into your eyes searching to see if you will share with me that dream that I have that I shared with you. Of an Australia built on truth, justice, love and hope. Please remember our call through these Bible studies for embodying Jesus and reconciliation. 
a friendship of reconciliation with repentance. So as the story that goes with this painting that I've given you, the Will You painting, will you take my hand? Will you listen to my songs? Will you walk with me? Will you help me find truth? Will you help me seek justice? Will you please, please, please take my hand and take our hand? Please remember our call through these Bible studies for embodying Jesus and justice. Sit with us in our pain, stand with us in solidarity, walk with us in truth and justice. And rephrase these not as Aboriginal injustices, but as Australian injustices. Thank you for walking with us uh, through this and I hope the journey continues on into the future. This is one of many conversations recorded live at Surrender 17 Melbourne. We hope you enjoyed this conversation and check out our website surrender.org.au for more resources and opportunities to get involved.